Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at weather. Hey, maybe a little bit of Wyoming and Utah, Arizona. Also in our potpourri section today, we'll be talking about an Arizona trip. We'll be talking about the movie Nefarious. We'll be talking about a dog named Duke. And maybe we should take more naps. And finally, we'll look at the Royal Hunt of 1913 with Prince Albert and Buffalo Bill. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the second day of May. Happy May Day for everyone. We are already in the month of May. Looking at the calendar, we're two months away from the 4th of July, and it's amazing. We've gone up. Our temperatures here on a Tuesday are 81 degrees in Hot Springs County. And, of course, I just got back from a quick trip. I went down to southern Arizona, and it was pretty cool up here in Wyoming area. And got down there over the weekend. It reached 100, 101, depending on where you were. It was just hot. And came back and got back in into Hot Springs County this morning. And it had uh, warmed up in the areas. Salt Lake area, Utah, is really having some issues right now with some flooding with these warm temperatures. I heard on the radio that they had set a record. Their temperature usually is in the 50s in this time of year. And they did get in the 80s yesterday also, and they were supposed to have another day of that today. And then overnight, they set a record. It stayed at 54 overnight. So they're facing the issues with water and such, and just a issue we're going to face everywhere. There's a lot of states. California is going to have some problems. Here in the state of Wyoming, we really don't have a big runoff yet. It really hasn't started with these warm temperatures coming. It's going to start, and depending on what type of moisture we could possibly get, like last year, then that's when we have all kinds of problems here in the Rocky Mountain region. When we get a wet, wet snows while it's warming up, and that's what happened last year with Yellowstone and parts of Montana where they had such extreme flooding. But right now, the temperatures are in the 80s. Looks like we might get a brief cool down over the weekend. It's time. Got to get the water going get some water to the trees, out to the lawn. But it's kind of amazing, the temperature swings that we're starting to see. But uh, with the temperatures and and with the winter weather, I can tell you it's green everywhere. It's going to be a green time of year, beautiful out there. I did even actually notice that in the state of Arizona. Some of the areas last year, I went down about the same time, and they were having some extreme fires in that country around Flagstaff and and through there over to Prescott and, and those areas just from the dry year and with the winds blowing and dry grass and just terrible fires. This year it's green everywhere. It's amazing what a little moisture can do and you always worry about with that green now that it's got all this grass growing later on it's going to quit raining and then suddenly you're going to have some danger again from these fires. And uh, so just part of what we play continuously, Lake Powell uh, that feeds the Colorado River, it is coming up in level. It's an improvement when it's been, and there's still quite a bit of water that can go into the um, reservoir. 
And that's a big plus for the Southwest, all the places it supplies water for. So again, Wyoming weather, 81. And we'll see what it's going to do here in the next couple of weeks. But anything's possible. We know that's for sure as you live here in the state of Wyoming. One other thing with our weather, I notice on travel, potholes are definitely a problem everywhere you go. So just another drawback of a cold, cold winter. And just a note on the potholes, I saw something original on Tuesday morning. I stopped in Riverton at the Walmart and in the parking lot, they have out there, they have shopping carts in the potholes. They're so bad over there. I think they need one more shopping cart. But the same issue happened with Riverton with all the cold weather and snow. Caused some havoc with everything and everywhere you go, you're seeing the evidence of that. And finally, I just saw that South Pass, it... Uh, is rather interesting place to go over. It's always a little treacherous in winter, but it was closed for 42 days this winter, which was unbelievable, the amount of time that that was shut down. Again, the winter of 2023 is one to remember. Taking a look at potpourri today, as I was talking about in weather, I did make that trip down to Arizona. And it amazes me. Some of these areas are just booming in that Salt Lake area that I go through, through Provo and that way and south. It is amazing the amount of growth that's going on. Even with these interest rates, I know it's slowed down a little bit, but there is this unbelievable amount of building going on. And then when you get down to Arizona, Tucson, all those areas, it's continuing down there, the hustle and bustle. I did see the one neighborhood where they were building houses last year. They had finished all the houses in this subdivision. And that last group, they were about 50-50 on the houses that were sold and houses that were available. So it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening. But again, as I say all the time, why I live in Wyoming, a lot of people down there in those areas, and there's a lot of hustle and bustle. Everywhere you go, you better get ready. It's going to be mortal combat out there when you're trying to drive. It's just bumper to bumper. And of course, you get used to it if you live there. I think I said it last year on the podcast. When you come back, I come back into Wyoming, into Evanston that way. And then I always head up to Kemmer. And when you get off on the two lane roads here in that part of Wyoming, there's nobody out there. There's more antelope than cars. And you definitely realize that you're back in Wyoming and you appreciate the solitude and just the quietness and the slow pace comparative to what the big city has to offer. One other thing that I was able to do, I was able to take in the movie Nefarious. I don't know how many people have, are aware of the movie. Uh, Nefarious was a story that from a book that was written by Steve Daish. Steve Daish has a podcast. He's a Christian man, and he wrote this book, and they adapted it to the screenplay. A great movie. It's one that I definitely will see again. I think the more you watch it, the more you get out of it. He's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? Let me ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. 
demons aren't really a thing. It's talking about a gentleman that's in the penitentiary in the state of Oklahoma. He is actually nefarious, this prisoner. Psychologist, a counselor, was called in. They had to determine whether he was actually insane or sane. Now, if you're insane, if they rule you're insane, they can't execute you. But if you're a sound mind, you can be executed. And so that's where the story uh, goes. And it really takes place in that prison. Have to sit and listen to. There is so much dialogue, and it is so deep. So if you get a chance, grab a friend and go off and see the movie Nefarious. In other news here, in our area here in Hot Springs County here in Wyoming, we recently had a officer was shot, a suspect killed in a drug-related incident that happened. The officer has recovered, is back at home. We know that the world is starting to come to our community. We also have had here recently to uh, suicide to young teens that committed suicide that have brought a lot of questions to the community on what's going on. And when you start seeing all these things, this is what we're seeing all the way across the country. And it is definitely a time that is very trying. And it's time for people to and stand together and be there for people. And finally, on a sad note that I had to share, I lost my Duke yesterday. He was a seven-year-old German Shepherd male. I had got Duke as a rescue. I've had him for three years. And when you, for you people out there that are dog lovers, and especially if you've been around a German Shepherd before, they pretty well bond to their owner. And you can't lose them. They follow you everywhere that you go. Uh, they are your constant shadow. Duke was loved by everyone. He was an unbelievable dog. He got along with everybody. He loved everybody. And he had a heart issue. And he ended up to the point where he went downhill and we had to make the decision. He went across the Rainbow Bridge. And it was a tough moment to do it. But it was the only option that we had for him. And again, Duke, you will be missed by everyone. And rest easy, big guy. I had read a story years ago, an author that had a same type of situation where he had to put his dog to sleep and how difficult it was for him. And he got to talking about a dog's life. And it's amazing. We always talk about a dog, no matter what type of day or whatever happens, when you go home, you walk in the door and that dog is just thrilled to see you. That tail is wagging. They are just thrilled that you have showed up and they love you unconditionally. And I think that's the way we need to take life, is that we need to start being that way. Just be happy about our lives. Be happy about those around us. Wag our tails and be that person that uplifts people around you, that makes people feel good around you. And one other thing that dogs do, they take a lot of nap. And I think maybe we don't take enough naps. And I think that might be another good idea. For some reason, those dogs love to sleep. And they love to sleep, and they love to sleep. And I think sometimes we don't take enough naps. And maybe if we just slowed down, didn't worry about everything that was happening, and maybe just laid down and take a nap, we would be doing a lot better. My philosophy going forward, make sure I'm wagging my tail, and hey, I'm going to take a few more naps. Hey, in our history section, take a look at an article about the Royal Hunt of 1913 with Prince Albert and Buffalo Bill. And I always enjoy the stories of 
Buffalo Bill Cody. story was written by John Clayton, WildHistory.org. In late September 1913, a hunting party made its way up the North Fork of the Shoshone River, north of the hunting lodge, at Pahaska Teepee, just east of the Yellowstone National Park. In some ways, it must have been like any hunting party. Men awed by the scale of the wilderness, engaged by the camaraderie of their companions and eager to bag big game. Yet because of who these men were, the hunting party was unique. Prince Albert I of Monaco was the first reigning European monarch to visit the United States. Colonel William F. Buffalo Bill Cody, a form of Wyoming and American royalty in his own right, was an entertainer even more internationally famous than Albert. Their presence made this arguably the best-known hunt in Wyoming history. The trip was organized by A.A. Anderson, an artist, hunter, socialite, and former superintendent of the Yellowstone Forest Reserve in Europe. Anderson had met the prince. He invited Albert to join him on a hunt near his ranch in the mountains above Matitsi, Wyoming. But when Albert's private train arrived in the town of Cody on September 15, 1913, he found a good deal else, too. Park County Fair was underway, with rodeo events and the Crow Indian dances. Furthermore, the fair was being filmed by a company co-owned by Buffalo Bill. This was in the early days of movies, two years, for example, before the silent blockbuster Birth of a Nation. Cody footage was intended for a film, The Indian Wars, which would set standard for infantry industries, production values, narrative troops, and attitudes towards Native Americans. Its climax was intended to be sympathetic, a reenactment of the 1890 ghost dance tragedy, followed by the scenes approvingly showing natives assimilating into white culture. While other company employees, including retired Army General Nelson A. Miles, began arrangements on the Lakota Sioux Reservation at Pine Ridge, South Dakota, Buffalo Bill instructed cameraman Charles Kaufman to capture plenty of scenes of the prince exchanging gifts with Chief Plenicu of the Crow. Albert was also invited to oversee their fair activities, which were covered in newspapers as well as by Kaufman. The prince enjoyed this celebrity so much that he delayed the start of his hunt with Anderson. At the time, he needed some good publicity, because not was all well in Monaco. His tiny principality in southern France was known primarily for the gambling mecca of Monte Carlo, Gambling made the royal family rich and eliminated any need to tax citizens. But Albert was an absolute monarch who had been facing three years of protests from subjects who wanted to establish a republic. Citizens were banned from the high-toned casinos, yet the small nation also liked factories or farmland. And as a result, unemployment was high. In 1911, Albert had created an automobile race and established a constitution, but neither had much immediate impact. Meanwhile, the prince's real love was outdoor life, especially oceanography. He owned research yachts and made four cruises to the Arctic. Many of the cultural and business advances in Monaco itself, such as establishing an opera, theater, and ballet, resulted from the work of his second wife, Alice Heine. At some point during the Park County Fair, or perhaps during preparations for it, Buffalo Bill inserted himself into the hunting plans. At the time, Buffalo Bill was in bad need of good publicity. Now 67, he was struggling to keep up with the times and nearly broke. His famed Wild West show could not compete with movies. Transport of performers and livestock to each venue was crippling expensive. The latest version of Buffalo Bill's show, a partnership with Gordon William Pawnee Bill Lilly, had recently been foreclosed on and its assets sold at a sheriff's auction. Furthermore, 
Bill's highly publicized 1904 divorce suit had tarnished his family-friendly image, though he and his wife had reconciled in 1910. Positive publicity could help his public image and his cinematic uh, ambitions. After the fair ended, Albert and Anderson spent a week successfully hunting on the Grable and Wood Rivers in the mountains above Matitsi. Then, on September 28th, they traveled with Buffalo Bill from Cody towards Yellowstone Park up the North Fork of the Shoshone River. Given the celebrity of Prince Albert and Buffalo Bill and the fact that they would be traveling with film crews, dozens of others wanted to join them. For example, Charles G. Spend a Million Gates got about hair to a barbed wire fortune who once bragged that he spent a million dollars a year in tips alone. He stayed overnight with them at Pahaska Teepee. Buffalo Bill's Lodge near the east entrance to Yellowstone National Park. Although Gates had hired guides through Buffalo Bill, the next morning the Gates party and guides left Pahaska in a different direction from the royal party. That party was quite large. Members included Prince Albert, A.A. Anderson, Buffalo Bill, Dr. Louet, Prince Albert's physician, often misspelled Rochelette, Henry Boulay, Albert's aide-de-camp, filmmaker Charles Coughlin, Buffalo Bill's son-in-law Fred Garlow, and forest ranger Harry Miller. Chief guide Fred Richards and cook David Shaw and several more guides, wranglers, and camp tenders. They made camp about 10 miles north of Pasca at Torrent Grit on a massive spruce tree, 5 feet in diameter at the center of the camp. Henry carved out an area that he painted with a bear paw print and the words Camp Monaco 1913. In one famous photograph, they all posed in the snow around the tree. Several other photographs recorded camp life, as did some film footage. Kaufman filmed Buffalo Bill doing chores, including chopping wood. The implication was that the camp's organizer was too busy and important to participate in the hunt. In fact, however, Buffalo Bill and Kaufman left Camp Monaco almost immediately after arriving because their film crew were overdue to shoot at Pine Ridge. The hunt was successful. Albert had a wonderful time. He killed a bull elk and a large black bear. The Northern Wyoming Herald reported that he was well pleased. He had spent an extra several days in camp, delaying the departure of his private train from the Cody Station. Stories and images from Camp Monaco permeated the press. For example, the Denver Post ran the Camp Monaco story under a full-page headline. The Post owners happened to be Buffalo Bill's financier partners in the film company. They also sent a reporter to chronicle the filming at Pine Ridge. The Camp Monaco Sojourn turned out to be the last big hunt of Buffalo Bill's life. He died four years later. However, the movie resulting from his film, Company's Footage, The Indian Wars flopped. The nitrate film had disintegrated over time, and only a few scraps remained. He had not been able to adjust to this new era. His final years involved continual financial difficulties. However, publicity surrounding the royal visit and the hunt provided beneficial to the local hunting and dune ranching industry. Cody became known as a destination for trophy-level hunting. Camp Monaco inherited the fame of its inhabitants. The site, which today features the stump of the old spruce tree, regularly appears on area maps and in hunting magazines. The 200-plus-year-old tree was one of the most famous victims of the 1988 Yellowstone fire. The fire killed it, but not consume it. In 1994, a 5,000-pound portion of the spruce Containing the campsite sign was removed by helicopter. It is now in a collection of the Buffalo Bill Center of the West in Cody. Albert's great-grandson, Prince Albert II of Monaco, 
the principality is now a constitutional monarchy, has visited Cody three times and on his 2015 visit spent three days at the old campsite. As keenly interested in environmental affairs as his ancestor, Albert II, has endowed a Camp Monaco prize of $100,000, which is awarded every three years by the Buffalo Bill Center of the West to support integrated scientific research and public education initiatives. The notion of Buffalo Bill's last hunt seemed poignant, especially in the light of the image of him chopping wood in the camp and his attempt to evolve the Wild West show into a movie-making friendly to Indian people. From one point of view, he has redeemed his old age, having processed from Hunter and scalp taker to caretaker with the progressive attitudes towards indigenous cultures. Another interpretation, the Camp Monaco experience with a triumphant frontiersman demoted to work basically as a servant to a money class from elsewhere is a metaphor for the decline of the romance of the West. As Sportsman's Magazine Outdoor Life described the view of the guide Lee Livingston in 2014, Camp Monaco represented the transition of frontier buffalo hunter to big game outfitter. The violet American West reduced to a vacation destination for European royalty. This wilderness went from a landscape to be feared to one to be protected. Again, another outstanding story from wildhistory.org and just another great story featuring Buffalo Bill Cody. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming.